Good morning to everyone. I'm Dave Enright and I'm one of the leadership team uh, here at Dorchester Community Church. I'll tell you something, it's cold this morning, very cold, especially where I'm living. Uh, I was really quite worried there might be snow on the ground this morning, so bless the Lord, uh, I didn't have to put up with that. But what makes it worse is I can picture all of you there sat in your front rooms with a cup of something nice warm to drink on the uh, uh, on the side there. And Ian Blackie, if you're listening, I reckon right now as we speak, you're dunking a couple of rich tea biscuits right in that a nice warm cup of whatever it is. I tell you something, uh, that makes me really fed up. Anyway, never mind about all that. Uh, welcome everybody. Great worship, great puppets, great everything. Uh, and uh, as uh, David Herring said, we've been looking uh, at letters sent to seven churches in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2 uh, and 3. So far, we've looked at uh, three of those seven churches, uh, and there's been some good and bad aspects in church life highlighted with praise for the positive and warnings given against the negative aspects of their conduct. Now, that reminds me of a song. Um, at my age, it's a very old song, but it's one which you may all know and was sung by a guy called Bing Crosby. That's not a turn off, because listen to what the chorus says. It says, you've got to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, catch on to the affirmative, but don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Uh, I said to Gloria, I might sing that this morning to see if I can get onto the worship team. But she says, no, darling, choose life. <laughs> but we, we can take those lyrics uh, and apply them to all of the seven churches in Revelation, in one way or another. The Christians in the church, uh, um, um, in the churches there, were in need of something like that to hang on to. Last week, Jonathan Greening spoke on the letter to the church at Pergamon, and that's got the label, the faithful church. Um, the Christians in that church were struggling to hold on and grow their faith in a city where we are told that Satan's throne is. We're actually told that twice in the letter. Uh, and of course, we're not just talking about persecution here, but all the other temptations such as immorality, greed, slander, jealousy, etc., etc. The sins that bring with them a complete lack of concern for anybody else's life or circumstances. Well, this week, I'm speaking on the letter to the church in Thyatira, which Andrew read so beautifully just now from Revelation 2 uh, and uh, verses 18 to 29. Thanks for that reading, Andrew. Well, Thyatira carries the label of the persevering church. And as far as their circumstances were concerned, Pergamon, I think, and Thyatira were sister churches because they suffered equally from the same sort of problems. And I think that their titles faithful and persevering would have applied to both churches equally. So what did the Christians in Thyatira have to persevere against? Well, the church had been infiltrated um, by a sect who were, were following the teachings of Jezebel. 
Jezebel lived 500 years or so earlier and was married to Ahab, one of Israel's kings. She was a disciple of Baal, which is a satanic cult, uh, and they taught that sexual immorality could be used to entice people into the church and then use it to keep them there. Awful, isn't it? Because the Christians were tolerating this behaviour, they were letting their guard down. It's an easy thing to do, and in danger of doing the same thing. The Jezebel sect became a church within a church. It brought division and the lowering of Christian standards. And that can be a very long and very slippery slope, let me tell you. Verse 20 of Revelation 2 makes it clear that the faithful Christians were beginning to be adversely affected by this insidious attack, which was from within their own church. Those who praised in verse 19 for their works of love, faith, commitment and patient endurance were now beginning to compromise. And they were compromising on things like sex before marriage, living together and extramarital affairs. And they were thinking, well, you know what, perhaps these things aren't so bad after all. So... Let's open our Bibles and see how God looks at these things. Let's see them through God's eyes. And please, let's hear God out on this. Marriage. Genesis 2 and verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is right at the beginning of the Bible, first book, Genesis, and it's in the Garden of Eden, that's Adam and Eve's time. So this is how God starts off. Proverbs 18 and verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now these two marriage references are from the Old Testament, before Christ. And in the New Testament, at the time of Christ, We find this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now there's no prizes here for spotting that it's the same verse. I read it again because there is 3,000 years between the two verses. Now, now, Now that shows, I think, that in all that time God had not changed his mind about marriage. And because we have moved from Old Testament across to New Testament, it makes it relevant still for us today. Ephesians 5 doesn't leave it there because in an earlier verse, 28, it says that husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Hmm, There may be some homework needed to be put on on this one from husbands looking in. And and not least of all me. And to finish off my snapshot of marriage through God's eyes, here's Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honourable among all. So marriage then, not living together, or sex before marriage, is what God desires. And it's what the Bible teaches. Of course, I'm well aware that this might rock a few boats. Uh, um, and so on 
but it may be as a result of what we're saying and speaking about here today that some might well have to think their position through again. After marriage, we could take a look at what God thinks about adultery. It won't take long, and most of you will get there well before me. But Exodus 20 in the Old Testament is where we find the Ten Commandments. Verse 14 is the commandment which says, you shall not commit adultery. Not too many surprises there. Simple, isn't it? It's very, very straightforward. But the case isn't closed there, because Matthew 5 and verse 28, New Testament, as you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I, Jesus, say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart already. Now, that's a two-way street, and it's spoken both to men and women uh, about uh, the, the, the concern in the way either may be thinking about each other. So now we know and understand how God feels about marriage. This then becomes a blueprint for our lives. And if we find ourselves out of step with God, what do you think God is going to do about it. Well, here comes the surprise, because it may be expected that I'm going to say that God will pour out judgment on all of this. He's going to rain down fire and brimstone uh, on everyone involved in it. But I'm not. That's why I asked you to hear God out, because I think God's primary goal is first to give us understanding We've looked at that. We know what God thinks about these things. Uh, and then next, he wants to bring in restoration. I don't believe God wants to knock people down and batter them into submission. I don't believe that. But rather, to help people understand the error of their ways and then lift them up into a relationship with him. He reaches his hand out and says... Now that you understand it, stop it. You may say to me, ah, the Bible also says in Hebrews 12 and verse 6, uh, he who the Lord loves, he chastises or disciplines. Yeah, he does. That's what, it, that's what he does say. Uh, and it's because we may need a bit of persuading over these things. You know what I mean? We've all been there, haven't we? Now, to those who have quoted Hebrews 12 and verse 6 to me, I'm going to quote Hebrews 5, uh, 12 and verse 5 back to them. Do not be discouraged when God chastises you. Don't get down about it. Why? Because it's done for a purpose. I discipline those I love, says the Lord. Not to push them away, but to bring them closer. Why do we suppose that Jesus died on the cross? It was in order to bring us closer to God. Just look at the position of his hands on the cross. They're stretched out in welcome, as if to say, look what I'm doing for you. Come to me and receive it. In other words, accentuate the positive, 
eliminate the negative, get your sins forgiven. So what are you going to do about the sin in your life? God's done his bit, I suggest, by offering his son Jesus. Jesus has done his bit, I confirm, by dying on the cross and taking the punishment for our sin. Now it's over to us to do our bit by asking him into our lives and receiving him. The only bit I can see that God would be unhappy about is if we messed with Mr. In-Between. This is what the Christians in Tyra were doing. Chapter 2, verse 20 of Revelation says, you tolerate the immoral teaching of that Jezebel sect. Now, when we tolerate something like that, we will almost certainly be compromising on God's standards and short, short train changing the truth. Our Christian standards will slip and compromising God's standards can lead to accepting the world's standards. We will then give ammunition to the devil if we miss mess with Mr. In-Between. So don't compromise on God's standards. Well, hello again. Um, a lot of the worship songs that are sung fit right in with the message that's being uh, ministered. Uh, I love that because then you get a flow of prayer, uh, of song, uh, ministry with the puppets. All these things fit together as a complete whole. Uh, so um, I always love listening to what the worship uh, team bring to us uh, at these times. Part two then. Well, we've had time to think about the challenges of part one. Uh, whilst we've been listening to the song that's been sung to us. And I hope that the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear about all these things. Lifestyle, as we see, uh, is very, very important to the Christian. So let's, uh, let's move on then to part two of today's talk. God makes it clear to the Jezebel sect in the church at Thyatira that he won't tolerate their activities. In chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 21, he says that he has given them time to repent. Time to change their ways. This is a kingdom principle. Uh, and uh, uh, not only to give people fair warning when they go wrong, but also to give them the time to change. We all need that, don't we? It's a kingdom principle because that is who God is. Discipline is not his first course of action. God offers grace and mercy first. Always. Even though they went badly wrong, I think we can see that they did in terms of their sexual immorality, God still gave them gave them time to change. Because God is true to himself. But the followers of Jezebel, they preferred to go on practicing immorality rather than turn into God. And they brought down on themselves all the destructiveness of cause and effect that comes with this kind of lifestyle. Broken marriages comes with it. 
Sexually transmitted diseases come with it. Resentment come with it. Jealousies come with it. Uh, And they're all part of these broken and distorted relationships that Jezebel was progressing in this church. Steady on now. (laughs) I think I ought to have a bit of a laugh on this. (laughs) Here, just to bring the temperature down a bit. Steady on now. This may have happened then in Thyatira, but it really couldn't happen here in this day and age. Oh, really? Well, just step outside your front door. Put your coffee cup down and step outside your front door and take a look around. It won't take long to realise that Jezebel is still alive and well in 21st century Britain. Do we want to see these negative, negative things take root in our churches? Or do we want to let our churches be islands of blessing in a troubled world where those who want a fresh start can come and find refuge in the arms of Jesus, our loving Saviour? So anyway, now after they'd rejected God's time to change, it's then, after the opportunity to change, that God acts with a heavy heart in judgment. Makes quite grim reading this part of, 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 uh, of the passage. Verses 22 and 23 of Revelation chapter 2 says, I will cast them into a bed of sickness and those who do likewise with her into great tribulation. I will kill her children with death and give them each according to their works takes a bit of time to think about that but my take on it is this casting them into a sickbed means that they will seek out those of similar nature and practice and bond with them that's the sickbed the great tribulation is reaping what they have sown now Galatians 6 and verse 7 and 8 in the New Testament says exactly that It begins with, God is not mocked. Let the Holy Spirit work that one in our hearts. God is not mocked. And adding, whatever you sow, you reap. Let's be clear, the lifestyle they were living is addictive. If you don't cut it off by going to God in the time that God gives you to do so, then you'll be sucked in to this sort of living and have to endure the shame and heartache that comes with it. Amazingly enough, for many it's a lifetime, it's a lifestyle chosen by those who decide to live it. It's a testimony to God's love and grace that he doesn't abandon people there, but rather leaves a lifeline of forgiveness open to anyone to reach out and grab at any time. The reference to killing the children, that's a difficult one, with death, is that because of its addictive nature, the children, by the way, are followers of this lifestyle, um, but because of its addictive nature, many choose to remain in this degradation for the rest of their lives. 
becoming children and slaves to it until they die. But as we have already said, they didn't have to. They didn't have to stay there. If it applies to you this morning, you don't have to stay there either. Our number's on the website. Call us and get free. Verse 24 and 25 takes the focus back to those who have not given in. They have persevered. They have not messed with Mr. Inbetween. They have not given in to the teachings of the Jezebel sect. And they have kept the Christian faith shining in this darkness. It's what we were singing about earlier with the worship group. But to those in Thyatira who were followers of the Jezebel sect and bringing these evil and false doctrines into the church, God makes it clear he won't tolerate it. Not after, t- not after time to repent or turn back has given, been given. The Christians in ch- inside the church at Thyatira were struggling. They were struggling against the temptation to go over and embrace the behaviour of those encouraging liberal living. Now, let's face it, it's hard to resist the honey traps that immorality offers. But hold on, verse 25, and our song says, hang on to the affirmative. Uh, I will stand with you, the Lord says. Yes, there is a better way. Chapter 2 and verse 26 says, Whoever overcomes and keeps my word until the end, I will bless. You know what? Life is better with Jesus. It's cleaner, happier, and totally fulfilling. You know it makes sense. My dear old dad, God bless him, said to me once, Son, he used to call me that every now and again, son, one of these days I'll be visiting you in prison. That's what he said. No, don't get carried away with that. I wasn't turning into a gangster or anything, but he did have sufficient reason and cause to say those things to me. Uh, And uh, it was, of course, uh, BG, in my times, BG, before Gloria. Um, And she, my wife, has been the one God has brought into my life for a whole host, (laughs) are you watching, love, of very positive reasons. But let me tell you this. I know where my life would have taken me if it wasn't for having Jesus in my life. I can tell you this, without any shadow of a doubt, life is definitely better with Jesus. To those faithful Christians in Thyatira, he said, I will put no other burden upon you. They'd got enough to deal with. Just hold fast till I come. In other words, I, Jesus, can see that you've got enough to put up with I see your faith he knows it and I will reward you in good time and we're talking about life after death here they're refocusing now not on this life but on the life that is to come Uh, and, and we've had Isaiah 40 31 read those who hope in the Lord 
will renew their strength. Praise God, there's nothing more true than that. Here the Christian is directed to the fact that there is life after death. It's not just sitting around and playing harps on clouds either. Let's get rid of that uh, ridiculous uh, thought that sometimes comes into our mind. No clouds, no harps, not, not at all. We will share eternity with our loved ones and with Jesus, ruling with him in his kingdom. Each letter to the seven churches closes with telling them just exactly that. But although we are told of blessings to come, our present focus, here and now, is on our relationship with Jesus. We can know him in our hearts, walk with him, know him in our hearts, walk with him, talk with him, and enjoy him and his love and blessings. few things there that we've got to enjoy in our relationship with the Lord. If you haven't done so already, why don't you give him a try? Make The way to contact us is on our website, said earlier, make use of it and contact us. If, on the other hand, you've let your relationship with Jesus slip, and it's time to pick it up again, dust yourself off and walk hand in hand with your maker. He's just waiting for that. This church and the church of God Global needs every born-again believer to stand up and walk not only hand in hand with Jesus, but hand in hand with each other, so that in Jesus we can be light and life to those who will send in our, to us into our midst. They are coming. Are we ready? The next song that is going to be sung to us by our worship group is Yes and Amen. And may God bless you as you've listened to this word this morning. Let's pray. Dear loving Father God, during these troubled times we pray that you would help us to focus our minds on things that are praiseworthy. We thank you for signs of spring all around us and the hope of warmer weather. We thank you for the COVID vaccine and that the infection rate is slowly declining. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. You care for us and hold everything together. Please fill us with the peace that comes from trusting you. We praise you, God. We pray for an end to this pandemic, wisdom for our government, help for our NHS, comfort for those who mourn and healing of our land. We pray for those in our church family who are suffering at this time and for those who are listening online to know you are with them. We thank you, Lord, that in all things you work for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen.